this week on Crossing the Lane Lines. And then at around about the age of 38, I decided that I needed a, a big challenge because I was approaching a big birthday. So I decided that I would take on the English Channel. Pauline Jackson, Walter Johnson, Willis Hanks, Charles Chapman. These are but a few of the accomplished marathon swimmers in the black community. Though they are not as well known as their white counterparts, such as Lynn Cox or Trudy Ederly, they were just as successful. Now we add one more name to this illustrious society of endurance athletes, Carl Richards. Richards became the second person of African descent to cross the English Channel. And today, he'll join us to talk about his successful swim, challenges of making it happen, and his hopes for other people of color to become marathon swimmers. All this is coming up. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. You know, I pride myself on being a student of Black aquatic history. It's one of my favorite things to do. Researching, conducting interviews, and on occasion writing an article or two. But I must admit that I'm not as good of a historian as I claim to be. Let me explain. Many listeners of this podcast know who the first person of African descent that successfully swam the English Channel was. His name is Charles Tuna Chapman, and he did it back in 1981. I know they know this because I've mentioned it numerous times on the show, and I bragged that Tuna is a close friend of mine. But what they don't know, and if I'm honest, I didn't, was that there was another person who completed this Mount Everest of aquatic endurance. And his name is Carl Richards. A citizen of the United Kingdom, Richards completed his channel crossing on July 31st, 2009. And I had the opportunity to chat with Carl about the swim and a number of other topics. Here now is that interview. I hope you enjoy it. Carl Richards, um, welcome to the Crossing the Lane Lines. It is my absolute pleasure. Great to meet you. Carl, tell us about your swim history. When did you get started and your progression to becoming a long distance swimmer? Oh, right. So I got started very, very early. My mother absolutely insisted from a very early age that my brothers and I learned to swim. All about safety around water and a life skill. So I guess I was probably three or four when I first got into the water and started to learn to swim. I probably spent the next 11 or 12 years swimming fairly consistently, mainly through school, uh, certainly in high school. And then I have to confess that when I went to university at the age of uh, 18, 19, Swimming very much fell off my uh, my radar as a as a habit and as a routine. But then, when I got into my early thirties and started to have a family, it was just a way of me kind of dealing with that new phase of my life that I got back into swimming. And then, at around about the age of thirty eight, 
I decided that I needed a, a big challenge because I was approaching a big birthday. So I decided that I would take on the English Channel. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I know that on July 31st of 2009, you completed a successful crossing of the English Channel. And I'm wondering, since you brought this up, if you can take us through that day, what were your thoughts, your feelings? Did you have any doubts about attempting this Hallmark Marathon swim? Well, if I may, I will take you back to the two years before. So 2007, I'd run a half marathon. I hate running. I've always hated running, but a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to do a half marathon with him. So I decided to do so to support him. Uh, quite frankly, I held him back. It was a it was terrible training. I hated it. I hated the actual run itself. And the poor chap, he spent most of the time running backwards uh, because I was so slow. Uh, but I really enjoyed being fitter. And I decided that if I was going to carry on being fit, I wanted to do something I really enjoyed. So I decided to get back into swimming more. And I was saying to a friend, oh you know what this swimming thing it's great but you know I have to get up early in the morning to do it and I've got a job and it's I find it hard to motivate myself well he said well why don't you just swim the channel that's motivation enough so I said okay <laughs> uh, and within 24 hours I'd signed up and I'd spoken to uh, people that perhaps you and your listeners will know like Nick Adams and Ned Dennison who were immediately and constantly supportive and I spent two years getting up at 5.30 in the morning three or four times a week swimming and then going off and doing this job my family was growing at the time uh, from two daughters to three daughters but it was a big deal right and I, I was being sponsored uh, quite frankly I had a, a job where I was uh, what I'm going to euphemistically call a, a, a troubleshooter i.e I'd been brought in to sort the wheat from the chaff so there was lots and lots of pressure going on in my life but I told everybody because I wanted sponsorship and all of this good stuff so coming to your original question the day itself I think I was very confident until 20 minutes into my swim it was a beautiful morning it was 5 45 a.m as you say july 31st 2009 beautiful morning the sky was dappled with rippling clouds and i was in in that first 20 minutes it's like brilliant all of the talking's over all of the training's over i'm going to do this and then i made my fatal mistake and that was well almost fatal mistake and that was right this is it 20 plus miles just do it and that number immediately hits me over the head, metaphorically. And I spent, and this is no exaggeration, I spent the next seven and a half hours thinking, right, I can't do this. There's no point in carrying on. So at the next feed, I'm just going to touch the boat and I'm going to disqualify myself. There's no point. I'm not going to make 20 plus miles. No way, no way. But this is the thing, I'd spent two years training four or five, sometimes even six times a week. And I was hardwired to never get out of a swim. So even though I spent that seven and a half hours convincing myself that I should touch the boat and disqualify myself, I got to eight hours and then I made what can be uh, another almost fatal mistake. But in this 
sense it was the exact opposite. I looked up and when I looked up for the first time that day, I saw how close France was and immediately a switch went off in my head and the switch went from you can't do this to this is your day. And the next five hours was, uh, it would be a slight exaggeration to call it blissful, <laughs> but it was certainly a big change from my, uh, from my mentality only a few moments before. And then I, I got to France, I got out, I clambered the regulatory 10 or so meters out of the water and I sat on the biggest rock I could find and I I'm not ashamed to say I absolutely burst into tears with complete and utter relief. And then, yeah, swam back out to the boat. There was champagne with my crew as we went back to England and my wife and family and my mother met me when we got back. And it was, it was an amazing day, but there was that kind of seven and a half hour, almost eight hour period of extreme mental anguish. <laughs> You know, it's interesting uh, what you're bringing up with all those emotions that you have, you know, after the swim and all that you're feeling while you're actually doing the swim, um, because I've had those same things. And I'm wondering how much of that for you, or, or if there was anything at all, is being one of now only two people of African descent to have accomplished that swim. Was that, was that part of that? Was, did you feel like a lot of pressure as, as, as being one of those elite of the elite of doing this. I mean, this, this is a monumental thing, not only for just crossing the channel, but also as another black person who was able to do it. Yeah, and that's, it's, it's a really, really interesting question. So I live in London and I've lived here for 30 years. I was brought up in uh, Manchester, which is another fairly large city in the UK, as you probably know. And I think I've always been in uh, in environments and in cultures and in towns and cities where being a person of colour isn't actually that huge a thing because there are enough people of colour around for it to not be a thing and I'm either I'm lucky or this is the way our society works over in the UK I haven't really been subject to much if any overt racism and the reason i say this is because living here and living the life i have i've never truly i suppose ever kind of when it comes to swimming especially in, in the channel swim it's never been a thing for me or the people around me the channel swim people were incredibly supportive i swim at a place called teaching beck lido which you may may have heard of yet and it's it's in the heart of south london i will say there aren't many people of color there but it's never been a thing it's just never been a thing so i i i think the short answer is hopefully not in a in a selfish way but the short answer is i'm a person who can swim and i wanted to do a big thing and all of those hours of training on my own it was about what I was committing to as a human being, what I was trying to push through, what I was trying to, the pinnacle I was trying to reach as a human being. 
I love that answer because, you know, for myself, although my interactions with those in the marathon swim community have been overwhelmingly positive, there's still this, this disconnect that I have seen. I mean, okay, I'm going to describe it. For example, often people come up and ask me, why aren't there more black long distance marathon swimmers? Even for myself, the high cost of travel, training, crew, lodging, even if you live in the UK like yourself, I mean, it can be a tremendous financial burden. And more so if you're traveling from places like the US, somewhere in Africa or Latin America. Now, there is a lot to factor in and even more challenging for swimmers who come from traditionally low income communities, correct? Mm-hmm. For sure. So my, my question is to you is, you know, how, how can we bridge that divide with, with, with those financial burdens and stuff? I mean, you don't have to have the definitive answer, but, but in your opinion, what, what can make that a little more manageable for, you know, um, potential uh, long distance marathon swimmers who are coming from the black and brown community? You know, it's, it's uh, a fascinating question because I mentioned Tuting Beck Lido earlier, and honestly, it is one of the most welcoming places you can go to. It's one of the most welcoming swimming places that you can go to. It's a huge open air, unheated pool. So it's, it's very much a self-select group, right? Um, and I, I was privileged enough to spend some time on the committee of the South London Swimming Club uh, as we, uh, as, I, as I was doing lots of my training. And it, it, was, it was a perennial question. How can we get more people of colour from the local community down to this pool to take swimming seriously because it's a very popular place during the during the summer when it's baking hot and people just need a place to cool off but in terms of people coming along and taking swimming seriously there is a there is there are very 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 few people of color i was probably one of three or four on on an annual basis who spent time there and i'm afraid i don't have a simple answer and throughout my swimming career, there just haven't been that many other people of colour involved. And I don't know if there is something that, that puts people off, people of colour off about the community, certainly here. I would certainly not suggest that would true of teaching about Lido, but maybe in general. You know, there are, there are all of those silly myths that you will be familiar with about um, about the fact that black people can't swim for very various physiological reasons. We, we both know that that's nonsense. But I just wonder if that in some sense permeates to people of colour and, and they kind of think, OK, it's not for me then, because all around me I hear these... these, these uh, hypotheses that, that I'm not supposed to be a swimmer because I can't be a swimmer. I, I really don't know. As I say, we spent those few years when I was on the committee at Tooting Met Lido thinking, what can we do to actively outreach and encourage people of colour? But there was no real, there was no real answer. And that's in a really welcoming place like that. <music> My hero in the sport, as I just told you, is Charles Chapman, better known as the tuna fish. And 
he was the first African-American um, and first black person to swim the channel back in 1981. And I had the honor of meeting him back in 2008. We became really close friends. By the time I met him, I was already in love with open water swimming and marathon swimming. Um, how important do you think it is that black swimmers that are looking into becoming long distance swimmers or marathoners see people that look like them? Because as you just now said, you know, there's not a lot of people. So how important is that representation? I think it, it, it should definitely help. How important I think it's, I, I think this, there is something deeper there. As I say, I think I think there's there's a few steps further back that need to be gone through before we start to encourage a lot more people of colour to take on challenges like this. I think there there is something. So, and I, again, I'm probably talking mainly about the UK here, but there is there's a lot more that needs to be done to encourage people of colour to to embrace swimming full stop, and then we can start to talk about. Uh, heroes and people that we should be looking up to. What What are some of those things do you feel uh, that need to be addressed before we get to that point where they're becoming long distance marathon swimmers? Then, yeah, I, I I struggle with it. I'm not going to I'm not going to evade the fact that I struggle with it because uh, my kids, three daughters, as I mentioned earlier, have all been swimmers. I've encouraged them to swim to varying degrees they've embraced it that's been nothing other than you know they're now teenagers and they perhaps have other more important things on their minds or they think they're more important but I don't know I think I think it, it needs to start with schools probably before we then start to push it back to families and family units there needs to be something greater which says swimming is fun, it's a life skill, and it means that we can be more safe in our lives because we can be around water and not be scared of it. And if we get into trouble, we know what to do. I mean, swimming is, as, as we both know, it's such an amazing activity on so many levels. And we need to start to constantly be pushing that that's interesting how you how you phrased that that it needs to be more concentrated on on different levels and one of the things that i've been thinking about a lot with regards to that answer is this there are many different organizations trying to promote water safety to for all communities and this is truly encouraging to see but a component of water safety that i feel is missing when we teach people how to swim is not only knowing what to do when you're in a when you're in a pool or you're near a pool, but also how to take care of yourself when you're at the beach, when yeah. you're at the river, when you're at a pond, a stream, the mm -hmm. ocean. Carl, I, I'm wondering if you could, could, could talk about this because this is, I think, a component that a lot of people brush aside because eventually people go on holiday and they wanna go near the water and, and enjoy themselves. And if you're really not competent in natural bodies of water, it, it, it can get really ugly. I mean, you know, there's accomplished swimmers who drowned, let alone people who barely know how to get from one end of the pool to the next. Yeah, yeah. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think we're very good at this uh, over in, in the UK. I, I feel that when I was growing up, there was a lot more 
uh, there was a lot better public information about being safe around water. But again, I just, for some reason, at a kind of political level, there isn't that impetus to ensure that people are first and foremost safe around natural bodies of water, as you say. But secondly, actually, they're not being encouraged to enjoy it, which is bizarre, right? Because we're an island. <laughs> we are, you're never more than, I think, 77 miles from the sea here. And yet, and of course, we've got many natural rivers, lakes, we've got reservoirs, et cetera, et cetera. But there isn't that impetus, there isn't that focus on safety around water. You know, I, I, I'd like to bring up an incident um, that happened just prior to the start of the Tokyo Games, and I'm sure you heard about it. Um, FINA, the International Governing Swimming Body, banned the use of larger swim caps that were created mm -hmm. by a UK-based uh, company called Soulcap um, from competition. Now, the reason for the ban in part stated that there was no need for any other caps at present, you know, because the regulation caps fit any head, which is ludicrous mm -hmm. to say the least. Now, apart from this being totally inaccurate, the signal that FINA sent out with this statement says that Blacks in particular are not welcome unless they conform to our standards. And the reason why I'm saying that is black hair comes in a variety of lengths and styles. We have dreadlocks, we have weaves, we have braids and, and so on, afros. Our hair has been used as a weapon against us for centuries. Carl, how important is it to you, do you think, that we embrace people as they are in the sport, that we accept newbies whose hair may not conform to the so-called norm or whose body is assumed to be not the ideal for swimming or whose skin may not be, or whose skin may be a tad darker than those who hold the power. Swimming is for everybody. Swimming is for everybody, all shapes, sizes, colors, genders, etc., etc. Honestly, swimming is for everybody. And I am quite frankly, baffled by the swim cap decision i i just i it's i it's not just that i don't get it i can't get my head around the the thinking behind a decision like that i think that we we all know that that large governing bodies of of particularly popular sports are conservative with a small c they're intransigent but they also make lots and lots of noise about wanting to be inclusive. And this for me is a fundamental paradox when it comes to the swim cap decision. And uh, yes, I think I'm going to leave it there before I get too vociferous about it. Feel free and get vociferous. I, this, is, this is an open forum, feel free. If you have other thoughts, I, I have no problem. I just think it's a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> to be really honest with you, and it's, you know, it, it may even be beyond a disgrace. There is there is something fundamentally prejudicial there, which is ugly. You know, I want to go back uh, to the marathon swimming for a moment. If we're looking at getting more diverse crowds into this unique endurance sport, how important is it? to see if we can find opportunities for deferred costs or scholarships for promising marathon swimmers who may want to swim the channel or other challenging bodies of water. Because right now, most of the swimming associations, you know, actually all of them, as far as I know, are basically saying you're on your own. Mm. 
to try to raise this. But wouldn't it be better if we wanted to try to grow this sport, to have some kind of an organization that says, listen, we can defer costs if you're from an underserved community or if you're from a low-income community. How important would that be? I think that would be great. It would be a game changer. I think uh, uh, there is this there is this myth certainly around wild swimmers, many of whom uh, I've been around. There is this myth that that swimming is actually a really low cost sport. You know, I cycle to and from work, right? And I've got the bike, I've got the shoes, I've got the kit, I've got this, that, and the other. That's an obviously uh, expensive, or it's, it's a sport that obviously entails quite a quite a bit of outlay. And because we're told that all you need to do is put on a bathing suit or uh, your swimming trunks and a cap and goggles. You can just jump in a, in a body of water. Hey, that's cheap and it's really accessible. The truth is, as you pointed out at the top of this, at the top of this interview, is that if you want to commit to this sport and you want to take it to a high level, then that is going to take some money and we need to start finding that money from somewhere because <laughs> there aren't enough people of color just swimming in pools if we want this to become an incredibly accessible pastime wild swimming marathon swimming any level of swimming then we need to start committing funds to it from public bodies or publicly funded bodies and finally, as we wrap up, are there any plans to take on a new marathon swim? Perhaps come out to Catalina and swim? Or maybe I'll, I'll, I'll crew for you if you want. Oh, that is very, very kind. Okay, so now, and I, if and when, I will definitely take you up on that. So I did actually have a plan about three years ago to swim now forgive me i've never been able to quite get the uh, pronunciation right elaine howell actually introduced me to this uh, it's the lake that straddles the u.s canada border lake memsfikog uh, yes i know which one you're talking about and i don't want to say it because i'll butcher <laughs> the word even more than you will so but i do understand what you're talking about <laughs> so i had got in touch with the pilots uh, in 2019, and I was I was gunning for it because it's you know it's I'm I'm sure people are sick of me mentioning the channel now because it was 12 13 years ago they're bored of it. Um, not that I mention it's a huge amount I have to say, but I kind of figured that I needed something else, and actually it's a bigger challenge for me because it's fresh water. Uh, and I swim like this. Sorry, your listeners won't be able to see, but I swim like I've got a house house bricks uh, attached to my feet. I don't kick. Uh, so yeah, so swimming in the sea is great because of the buoyancy. Swimming in fresh water, uh, I swim along almost at forty five degrees, perhaps. So I thought that fresh water swim about twenty plus miles. I'll do it. And then, of course, the last two years happened. So that meant that that was put on hold and it also has meant that I haven't actually been able to swim a huge amount. So because I take the, these kinds of swims incredibly seriously, I don't kind of just think, even though I did do a big swim, I don't think that I'm good enough to just kind of say, hey, yeah, six months time, I'll jump in a big body of water and I'll do it. I need to, 
manage my life to the extent that I can commit to a big swim. So that was my long way around of saying I don't have anything planned right now, but it's always there. And we're going to leave it there. We've been speaking with Carl Richards, who is the second, though not less accomplished, person of African descent to have crossed the English Channel back in 2009 on July 31st. Carl, we wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our world. And thank you so much for joining us today on Crossing the Landlines. Thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure. Uh, I've loved having this conversation with you. I've loved sharing with you and I've loved hearing um, your very, very insightful questions. They've been awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines, signing off.